Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We'll read the first 14 verses. Speaking on the subject of night of unprofitable toil. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, which by the way means the twin, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. They said unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and... Now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he heard his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Soon then, as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of bread fish, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come undine. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? And Jesus then cometh, and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Now, Father, we have felt the power of your Spirit in our midst, and such a tremendous way this morning. We know that you're here. We have shed tears of delight and joy, tears of praise and love. And our hearts are full of your love. But even in the midst of our own personal traumas and trials, yet we can feel you present. Bless those who are not here because of their difficulties, illnesses. Thank you for the good news that we've heard on this problem of salvation. Thank you for our visitors who are with us today. Thank you, Lord, for a time to share in your word. Open now our hearts and our minds 
to which reality and its truth we pray in Christ's name. We are here in the scripture in that 40-day period between the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord. During that 40-day period, he revealed himself to his disciples and others on a number of occasions. And our scripture tells us that this episode was the third time that he had presented himself to his disciples. I think we can speculate a little bit and see that Peter, being a very robust, energetic fellow, was getting bored, sitting around waiting for something, and he didn't know what that something was to be. And he finally says, I'm going fishing. And six of his Brothers said, we'll be with you. Seven men go fishing. It wasn't the case of, I think I'll go down to the river with my pole and throw in the line and sit there and meditate and hope a fish comes along, but rather it was, I'm going back to what I used to do. That's my occupation. I'm going to return to it. He was saying, in effect, I'm sitting around waiting the Lord hasn't told us what he wants us to do. I'm going back to doing what I used to do. You know, that's one of the greatest concerns that a pastor has in his congregation. I haven't. I lose sleep over it. I spend more time praying about this, I think, than any other thing in my prayer life. I brood about it. I worry about it. I'm overly, maybe overly, about it. That is those people who decide to go back fishing. Those who make a commitment and then decide, I can't do that. <clears throat> who come to church and then think, well, I've made a mistake. That's not for me. I'm going to go somewhere else and do something else. The old revolving door syndrome of the church when such great numbers of people come through the front door to quickly find the rear door and disappear from the scene. That bothers me. It really does. This is exactly what Peter and his brethren were doing. Sometimes we as a church think that the only thing there is to following the Lord is to be saved and everything is all right. Fail to realize that the acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior is only the beginning. Somewhere in our process we need to also accept Him as our Lord, our Master. Almost nobody would turn him down as Savior. But multitudes of people refuse him as Lord. This becomes the problem. 
I want to use a word, and I'll tell you what it is, and then as I use it this morning, you will uh, be able to grasp the word. It's the word reversion, a R-E-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, which I am using to mean a return to one's old life. A return to one's old life. Peter was in a reversion. He had been with the Lord and now had decided that he was going back to what he used to do. But the problem is, this decision did not just affect Peter, but he had influence over six other men who said, if you go, I go. So off they trucked down to the lake rejuvenate their boats and their fishing nets and put up their sail and get out on the lake and go back to making a living. Another real issue that bothers me, and this bothers me personally, is that we never know who is following us and will make their decisions based upon ours. We have our sphere of influence. I have mine, you have yours. What we do or how we act or what we say within our sphere of influence is going to dictate what a certain number of other people do or don't do. There are some people who will not go to church if you don't go to church. Because they see in you or in me someone to observe and to watch and to pattern We will influence positively or negatively, but be assured we will influence. Back in the Old Testament, we have the story in the first book, Genesis, of the story of the two first brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel was a very righteous man, and God accepted his offerings, and Cain was not so faithful, and God rejected what he brought, and Cain became angry with his brother for being accepted by God, and killed him. The first murder of all his He buried him. All the evidence apparently was gone, and God came down to earth as he did in those days and talked directly to Abel and to Cain, to Adam and Eve. On this occasion, he said to Cain, where's your brother? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? To put it the way I would have said it, and perhaps you would have said it, how 
how should I know? Am I responsible for that kid? God's answer, let me put his answer in my own words again. Yes, indeed, Cain, you are responsible for your brother. Where is he? I don't want this responsibility. Perhaps you don't want it. But brethren, we have it. We are responsible for the welfare and the spiritual growth of everyone with whom we have fellowship. And when Peter said, I'm going back to my old occupation, he was responsible for the six men who went with him. So reversion influences other people. There is one person of this congregation who is not here this morning. But I've had many conversations with on this very subject of returning to the old life. There is a responsibility that we have in doing so. Reversion, when one does it, will result in some things. And the one I want to mention this morning is absolute emptiness. These men went fishing. They fished all night. They didn't get a thing. Now, that's not bad if we're simply talking about the leisure uh, enjoyment of going out and throwing a line in the water, and that's our pleasure. But it is bad if that's one's life. He catches nothing. And that's what Peter and the others were engaged in. When a person decides and he is going to revert, go through the process of reversion, he will discover some very startling facts. That person who reverts will not be happy. There will not be joy. Those things that in the former life were pleasurable, when he returns, he will discover that they don't bring the pleasure that he once thought that they did. The thrill will be gone for them. There is no longer any satisfaction in the old life. A person who has tasted of a new life will not be satisfied with the old. One who has experienced the genuine will not be tolerant of the imitation. Awful difficult for us who are diabetics who used to, who grew up on sugar to eat a cake that has no sugar in it until we get accustomed to it again. I mean, that's just not good stuff. An ice cream without sugar in it is terrible, but I'm learning to love it. But it takes a while. When we have had a taste of what life is really about in Jesus Christ, 
there ought to be a desire for more and more of that. And if a person decides to go through a process of reversion, he will be a person most miserable because he is engaging in things that brings him unhappiness, not joy and peace and delight and love. But Janet prayed about in her prayer this morning. It won't be there. Life will be empty. When my son got his driver's license, that bicycle was the most useless thing on earth. He had graduated to something better. And I suggest to you that every one of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ have gone from the bicycle to the automobile in our spiritual experience. We have tasted something much better. Thirdly, on this subject, let me say that a reversion makes one insensitive to the presence of Christ. Reversion makes one insensitive to the presence of Christ. Here they were fishing all night long. Daylight came. They were occupied with trying to figure out how to catch fish, get the necks over the side, pull them in, find that there were no fish in them, frustrated, throw it back out again and keep on trying. And all the time, standing on shore was the Lord Jesus. They never even saw him. Busy, busy, busy. Preoccupation with self draws the awareness of the presence of Christ. When one is so tied up in making a living, that he has no time for spiritual matters. He will never even recognize that there is the person called Jesus Christ that's close by. When one is so involved in having a good time and enjoying the what is called oftentimes the pleasures of life, will never know that there is somebody standing on the shore keenly observing and watching the goings-on and that person will never know that he stands there. The nets and all the gear had occupied Peter's time to the point that he didn't know that Jesus was standing nearby. And he was saying, I am tough. I'm a fisherman. I've done this all my life. I can handle it. I don't need any assistance from somebody standing on shore. Listen, that attitude will bring a person down quicker than anything that I can think of. There are multitudes of people who think that they have no need of Jesus Christ. Until it's too late. Standing before the judgment seat of God will cry out with all their might in lamenting over the fact they left the man standing on shore while they tried to row their own boat and throw their own nets and catch their own fish. All right, let's move on. The second point I want to make is a very common phrase that is made, and that is Jesus is the solution. And you probably say, I know every preacher says that. It's just a stock answer 
that every preacher gives, if you've got a problem, Jesus is a solution. But let me tell you, that's not just a fake response. That's real. The answers to life's problems reside in a person. We call him Jesus Christ our Lord. He calls out to them from the shore and gets their attention and says, Children, have you any meat? Meaning, fellows, have you caught anything? And with that voice, I'm sure they all look over there. I'll tell you something. You can't get too far from shore but what Jesus is still standing there keenly concerned and aware of your activity. You might forget him, but he does not forget you. You may deny his existence on the shore, but that doesn't change the fact that he still stands there. And will call out to you to get your attention. He knew they hadn't caught any fish, so he didn't need an answer. His reason for calling was to get their attention and say, Gentlemen, here I am. Sometimes the Lord has to do amazing things to get our attention. You ignore him, they will come when he'll get your attention. But why? Why did he exert so much interest in what was happening? See why? You know why he saved us? Why did he save you? Why was he the slightest bit interested in you or in me? The answer is given us in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16. When Jesus said to his disciples, I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring much fruit. Every Christian has been selected of Jesus himself in order that we would be productive in our life for the Lord. And if we're going to take our life in our own hands and run off to go fishing again, revert back to our old life like we once did, we are not fulfilling the purpose for which we were saved. We need to get on track and do those things that we were saved to do. Now Jesus issues a command to them. They answer and say, no, we haven't caught anything. And they said, that's the Lord. And the Lord said, throw your head over on the other side of the ship. 
Help of your formula. Obedience to God equals good results. Disobedience to God equals failure. These men could have said, now look, we are fishermen. That's our trade. We know how to fish. Are you telling us how to fish and we're standing on shore? We're in the boat. We've got the nets. We know how to throw them over the side. We've already thrown the nets over there several times tonight. And now we've got them on this side. Brad tells us to throw them back. We're quitting anyhow. It's daylight. We're coming in. When we start telling the Lord how to run the, the, the affairs of our life, we're in trouble. And the Lord said to the men, put your nets over there. And they obeyed. And they started pulling the nets in, and the scripture says there were large fish in the net, 153 of them by count, so much so that the nets should have broken, but they didn't break. The Lord says, obey and you'll get results, disobey and you will be in failure. That's the formula. Now lastly, what can we learn from all of this? I think there are three things we need to see. I've already alluded to one of them. That is, no matter how far you drift from the Lord, and I think some of us would have to say, look, I have certainly drifted away. I haven't gone to church much. I haven't prayed much. I haven't been faithful. Yes, I believe in God. <clears throat> yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but I surely haven't been living that way. You may be drifting. But my point is, you drift. And the Lord will shout at you from the shore. get your attention. Secondly, nobody gets anything in this life by his own work. You leave God out of your life and you will be an absolute utter failure at anything you want to try. You might have all kinds of money and a fine house and drive a good automobile and have a good job. But let me tell you, the things that amount to anything in life will be failure. There is no husband and wife that has ever reared a Christian boy or a Christian girl that has not demonstrated those things in the home. That boy or girl may become Christian from some other influence, but not from the home. There are multitudes of men and women in this world who have thought they have been successful in life only to discover that they have utterly failed. And the reason for their failure is that they have not made the Lord Jesus Christ a vital part of their life. Disobedience equals failure. And thirdly, Jesus Told them, come on in. They noticed that he had a fire built. 
throw a fish on the fire. Where did it come from? He told them to bring some of the fish they caught. Evidently, they put one on the fire and they had a meal. Jesus said, come and die. The Lord will provide for our needs. But more than that, he will provide for the things that makes life delightful and enjoyable. I'll tell you one thing. Some of the things that at times we think are delightful end up not being. We learn the difference between what is delightful and not delightful. Some of us have learned that delightful things seem to come out of the church setting. Come out of prayer. Come out of service to the Lord. Come out of visiting. Our lives are blessed. I hope you have received something from the table of the Lord this morning because you've been in his house. We have sat and he has fed us of his goodness. If you see yourself in Peter here as one who has decided that he's going to drift away and go do his own thing, today's the time to come back. If you're a husband and wife who have not been as you ought to be, today is a time to set things right between you you and the Lord. If you're a man or a woman who is not saved, you never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, or a teenager, has not done that. You believe the Lord is talking to you this morning. You won't accept him as your Savior. You ought to do it today. Don't go out to live your own world. Live your life with Jesus Christ as its center. Everything should center around him. Told you, I believe that the church ought to be the center of every member's life. There ought to be nothing more important than the service of God to a member of this church. Everything else must be secondary. If this church and its ministry is not the most important thing in your life, you're on the circumference, not in the center. You're out a little bit too short, and the Lord's going to have to yell at you. Get you back to him. If you're not in the fold, he's talking this morning and inviting you to come to salvation. Will you do it? Let's pause for just a moment of prayer while we get ready for our closing number. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.